Well, it's a pleasure to have uh, Russ Wilson with us again. Russ, you can come. Uh, this church, it's often good to remind you that this church is part of an association of churches called the Associated Gospel Churches of Canada, and Russ serves as uh, the superintendent for the churches in Western Canada, uh, going up to Saskatchewan, and I think, well, you're over Manitoba as well, but mm-hmm. we have someone to help you out in Manitoba now with that, but uh, uh, you can read about Russ. There's more information about him and uh, his bio and his family in your bulletin. But it's great to have Russ here with us today. I want to welcome you, brother. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. Appreciate the opportunity to be here again. Um, I bring you greetings, of course, from our association. And just will let me give you a, a quick update on a couple of things. This coming Sunday, next Sunday, I will be in bigger Saskatchewan installing a, a new pastor there who actually comes from Black Falls, Alberta. He had served on our church's elders board down there. His name is Doug Motts. And so our pastor there said, uh, we rejoice, but we're really not totally rejoicing because we don't want to lose Doug. He's been a great man in our church, but we rejoice in the fact that God has called him to uh, go and pastor our church in bigger Saskatchewan. And so, so that's kind of a neat thing that we've got a connection there in that way that um, God has ordained. And so I look forward to uh, doing the installation service next Sunday, and that will be a great celebration for the church in bigger. Tonight, I leave here and I drive down to Black Diamond, where we are doing an ordination service for the associate pastor down there, Bryce Letkeman, and um, we look forward to just celebrating with that church. They are very, very excited and looking forward to this time of just uh, recognizing that um, Bryce has been called by God, and uh, it is our joy to go down and uh, have this service of ordination for him this evening. And so, just a couple of AGC things, and then one AGC prayer request for you as well. Um, We are right now in the midst of the search committee uh, is uh, interviewing candidates for our president. Uh, Our current president, Dr. Willem Fiji, has finished his job a year and a bit from now in June of 2018. And so we've had uh, a series of interviews that have been going on. Uh, They've got a few more to conduct And then uh, I'll fly down to Toronto for national board meetings at the end of March. At that time, they hope to introduce the candidate to us as to who's going to be our next president. And so you can be praying for that search committee that uh, this task that they have will be one that um, God will have his hand upon and that we will clearly know that this is the man of God's choosing for our association. Obviously, this position is crucial. Uh, for our um, well-being in the days ahead and so it is a a matter of serious prayer and so we thank you for that um, and look forward to being able to announce that in the days ahead and celebrate who God has chosen to be our president for us. Um, Let me pray for us and then we'll uh, look into God's word together and uh, spend some time answering a couple of questions that I have for us this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for the truth of your word We thank you, Lord, for the team that was commissioned this morning and are going out. It fits in so well with the message. And and, and once again, Lord, I I have to uh, admit that I'm surprised and then I uh, confess that I should not be surprised that how your hand always is overseeing what is going on in your church. And in the local expressions of it, Father, your hand is there guiding, uh, inspiring, directing, leading. And and so we celebrate that team and we look forward to... um, seeing what's going to happen down there in El Salvador. God is, the kingdom of God will be proclaimed to people who do not yet know Jesus Christ. And so we ask um, for your guidance in this time that we'll spend in your word together, and we look forward to uh, what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Some time ago I came across this article um, that was talking about this Russian priest who had this uh, long service that had 
been where he dedicated his life to God and had served God faithfully for many, many, many years. And, but as he got into his older years, he just found that there was this gradual coldness that was seeping into his soul. And he couldn't figure out why. He didn't know what was different. He didn't know what had happened. And, and yet it was real, it was tangible, it was something that he didn't like. And the, the weeks turned into months and the months turned into years and he battled this. And it was a, a Russian winter that uh, in his small town where he served that he was um, just at a point where he wanted to know what is wrong, why has this happened? And, and so he bundled up his jacket in the late Russian cold evening and, and uh, got outside and just decided, I want to go for a walk. And in that cold Russian night, he was wandering through the streets of his small town, just examining his own heart, his own soul, and, and trying to figure out, why do I sense such a coldness in my heart? And in his absent-minded wanderings, he didn't realize that he'd actually wandered onto a Russian military compound. And as he took a, a step across the line into the compound, all of a sudden, the words from a Russian commander rang out, Who are you, and what are you doing here? Well, the priest snapped to attention and didn't really have things clear in his mind, but he looked at the Russian commander and, and he said to him, pardon me? He said, what, what did you say? And the commander looked at him again and bellowed out in his military command words that he said, who are you and what are you doing here? And all of a sudden a light came on in the eyes of the priest and he looked at the commander and he had this wry smile now and he said to him, how much do they pay you? And the Russian leader said, what difference does that make? Why are you asking me that? And the priest said, I tell you what, whatever they're paying you, I'll pay you the same amount if you come and work for me. Well, now the commander was somewhat intrigued, and he looked at the priest, and he said, well, if I accept your offer, what would I do? And the priest looked at him, and he said, I want you to ask me those same two questions every single day for the rest of my life. Who are you and what are you doing here? Do you actually know the answers to those questions this morning? Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10 because in this passage, I think we actually do find the answers to both those questions, interestingly enough. And it came to me just a while ago as I was reading through this and and, uh, thought about that story again that I'd read some time ago and looked it up and and just was intrigued at how some pieces for this message were beginning to come together for me. And so let me just uh, look through this passage with us and point out a few things that we'll see here and then we're going to get to answering actually both those questions within the confines of this passage. So Luke chapter 10, it's a, a familiar passage for those of us who have been in church for some time. And if this is all new to you, maybe these two questions are, are healthy for you to even think about from a very personal standpoint of who are you and what are you doing here? Well, Luke chapter 10, we get the story of Jesus sending out the 72. And let's just read through part of the passage and then we'll, we'll work our way through and we'll read more of it. Starting at verse 1, it says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him into every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. And when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages, and do not move around from house to house. 
And when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set there before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I will tell you, there will be more, it'll be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. And then we'll go into the rest of it in a little bit. But I just want to, first of all, look at the big picture here, sort of like the 10,000 viewpoint as if we're doing a flyover. And then we're going to narrow it down and we're going to look very clearly and say, well, where in this passage that we're going to get to are the answers to our questions. But first of all, we need to see the big picture. So that's what we want to do. The big picture is Jesus is giving his marching orders to these 72 disciples of his, these followers of his. He's got a task for them. But it's interesting that, first of all, Jesus asks them, really what he wants them to to do is to grasp what is going on, what he's doing. And so we look at the passage, he says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two. Now look at this phrase, ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Interesting. Then he tells them to pray. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send forth workers. He tells them that there's lots of opportunity here but that the workers are few. And when we look back at this passage in verse 1, we see that Jesus is clearly saying to his followers, look it, I'm going to go there, but right now I want you to go, and I want you to partner with me. I want you to engage in the work that I'm going to be doing as well. I want us to do this together. And so it's an invitation, really, in many respects, for these 72 to join in on the work that Jesus is calling them to do. And that invitation hasn't stopped. It's an incredible privilege that the God of, of the whole universe, the Lord of all of eternity, would say to you and I, look it, I've got some things that I'm in the boat in the business of doing, and I want you to partner with me, to join with me, to be part of it. Well, when we look at what Jesus gives them in the next number of verses, there's some insights here that I think us that it would do well for us to take note of. And let's just work through those. First of all, the first insight, is says, be prayerful. Be prayerful. He says, the, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers, if you ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his har- harvest field, be prayerful. Are you and I still in the business of being prayerful about the work that God is about? And it's interesting to note that when he says, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few, He's not talking to 72 people that he's about to send off into some foreign mission field. He's actually asking them to go back out into their own areas, not close, not far away from where they currently are, and Jesus said, I'm going to go there myself, but in your areas where it's just close by here, I want you to pray and be aware that there's work to be done here. So how does that translate for you and I? Well, the same truth is there for us. That when we look around close by us, there's a God who looks around at the people that are near us, who loves them passionately, sees the fields as white unto harvest, and says to you and I, will you partner with me and pray that our eyes will be open and that our opportunities will come to be able to take this great message of Jesus to the world and to the people that are clear by, nearby us right now. This is asking God to awaken the hearts and minds of believers right here to see the harvest field right here that's nearby. Interesting. Second part of it was to be prayerful, but he also says to be alert because he tells them how he's sending them out. He says, I want you to know that I'm sending you, he says, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Be alert. 
Be alert. We face an enemy. Anytime that we're going to put our hand in God's hand and say, I want to be part of the mission that God's about, then as soon as we do that, then we're engaging in what we understand to be clearly a spiritual battle. And so Jesus says to them, be alert, be aware. Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9, when he says this, be self-controlled and alert. That idea of being aware, being aware of your surroundings, being aware of the battle that you're in. And he goes on in verse 8 to say, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. The work that we're called to in these verses is a spiritual battle. So Jesus says, be prayerful. That's the starting point. But he also says, be alert. Be aware that you're engaging in a battle. That's important for us to understand. We see thirdly as well in this process, he says, be focused. Verse 4. He goes on to talk about, he says, um, do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and not greet anyone on the road. Some scholars talk about that in the sense that there's a lot of cultural stuff that's going on in this passage as well. And socializing and when you greet somebody on the journey and stuff can sidetrack you onto other things and stuff. And so they're saying that there's some cultural things there. They're saying, just, just listen, you need to be focused. Be focused. I love this quote from Stephen Covey. And Stephen Covey's that guy who quite a long time ago wrote that book about you know, the highly, seven highly effective habits, of, or have, uh, effective habits of highly effective leaders. And he says this, and I want you to listen to this. It's incredibly easy to get caught up in the thick of thin things. It's incredibly easy to get caught up in the thick of thin things. And so Jesus is saying to his followers here, stay focused Don't get sidetracked by the affairs that are going on around you close by, but remember what you're about. You're about this calling that I just gave you. I think this will come back when we look at these two questions that we're going to look at in just a moment. Uh, Fourthly, I think he also tells us to be a people of peace. This is verses 5 through to 7. At this point in time, culturally, again, that was a greeting that you could bestow upon a home when you entered it. Shalom was the the Hebrew word that you would share as you walked in. And uh, it's interesting that in this passage, he says to them, be a people of peace. But he's telling them, really, these disciples aren't just announcing peace. They are, by virtue of their relationship with Jesus, bringing peace to the homes that they stayed in. And he said in those verses, he says, when you enter um, a home and you say peace to it... uh, If there's a man of peace there, your peace will rest on him. Jesus is saying, you are the the purveyors. You're the ones who are taking my peace with you into these places. And so be a people of peace. And then lastly, in verses 8 through to 12, he says, be steadfast. Hang in there when the going gets tough. Because it is going to get tough. There will be times when you'll be rejected, Jesus says. But don't worry. They're not just rejecting you. Actually, they're rejecting me. And there's a couple of interesting phrases in here as well. And he says that um, in verses 8 through, um, he says, When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you, heal the sick who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. That's the message. As you go into these towns and are doing these acts, and so as the team that was commissioned here this morning, Bill made it very clear, yeah, we're going to build houses, but we're also clear about that's just the avenue to help us to be those kingdom bearers, those announcers of the good news of Jesus Christ. So don't forget that in the journey is what Jesus is saying to his followers here. Be steadfast when the going gets tough. And there is going to be rejection. And verses 13 through to 16, he talks about that as well. Uh, And he says, Woe to you, Chorazin, and Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes. It would be more bearable for you to go, it goes on to announce 
Well, the key in verse 16 is that Jesus affirms that the message of the disciples is his message. And so when they're rejected, he says, don't worry, they're actually rejecting me, which means they're rejecting the Father who sent me. Interesting. Verse 16, he who listens to you listens to me, but he who rejects you rejects me, but he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. It's, it's like a chain of command in some respects. And so you're the message bearers. You take it out there. There's going to be times when it's going to be rejected, but don't get worked up about that because they're actually not rejecting you. You're the bearer of the message. They're rejecting the message giver. That's me and my father who sent me. Important. So that's really the big picture as we do that, that overview of what's going on. But now I want us to narrow down because I really do want us to, to for these last few moments, to dwell on these two questions. And we look at the answer to our first questions in verses 17 through to 20. The trip is finished. They're coming back. And, and think of it as the missions team in just a, a few weeks we'll come back here and we'll share. But look at how it reports it. It says in verse 17, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus replied to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The disciples come back and they are some excited about their experience. I don't think it's any big surprise to hear that. They come back from the journey. We don't really know how long they were gone. The Bible doesn't tell us whether it was days, weeks, months. We're not sure. But they come back and and they are just so excited to report. And their trip from their perspective was a huge success. And one of the keys that they saw for it being a huge success was that they said, you know what, even the demons submit to us. But I just love the fact that as they came back, they came back with joy, it says. Now it is my joy to travel on behalf of our association of churches and to go across Western Canada, being in churches and meeting with boards and, and sitting down with chairmen sometimes and pastors and, and finding out what's going on. And, and I have to be honest that not all the time do I go into churches where the church family and the pastor are clearly experiencing the joy of the ministry. I think when that happens, actually, It's because we've lost the answers to those two questions. Who are you? And what are you doing here? Because sometimes we get mixed up about who we are and we get mixed up about the mission that we're involved in. And so when I look at this passage, I just love with my imagination the picture Jesus sitting here with the disciples. He sent them out. He taught them before he left. He gave them a number of things to be aware of. Um, He hears their joyful report as they come back and and he's just smiling away there as he's sitting and listening to them as they share all the things that are going on. The verses where it says that Jesus saw Satan fall, the scholars aren't agreed on, on what's going on there. Some think that that was the original casting out of Satan out of heaven. Others think that it was as the demons were being cast out, as the disciples were reporting that that was it. It's not really germane or nothing crucial to our passage. But what is crucial is understanding what Jesus was wanting to redirect their attention to. The verse here speaks of the authority that Jesus gave them But verse 20 is crucial because it actually speaks to our question. In verse 20, he says, However, he heard about the report of the demons submitting to them, and he smiles, and I'm sure just uh, thanking that, 
thinking that this is a, a good experience for his disciples, but there's a corrective measure that he's about to do. He, he's not rebuking them. He's not saying you guys got it all wrong. But he is, as their shepherd, gently correcting them right now. When we see in verse 20, he says, Don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but do rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Be clear, he says. Understand, this answers our question, who are you? Jesus draws their identity away from the things that they were actually doing and tells them that they are his children and that is the key to them understanding what their lives are going to be all about. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is what actually defines us as people. I am a child of God. Understanding this truth profoundly affects how we actually live our lives day in and day out. This truth guides us. This truth that I am a child of God guides when I scale those peaks of of incredible achievement and I recognize, man, oh man, look what has happened, but I realize that the achievement is not my identity. I could accomplish great things, but at the end of the day, that is not my identity as a follower of Jesus Christ. My identity was sealed before My mind can even conceive and understand that I am God's child. We are children of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. On the opposite side of that same coin, this truth, my identity as a child of God, sustains me when I go through those dark nights of the soul. When I go through those times when everything doesn't seem to really make sense at all. When there's profound brokenness and, and hurt and, and rejection possibly and all kinds of things that are going wrong in my life. Those things never ever define me. They may be my experience. They may be my reality. They may be just the moments that I'm traveling through. But they do not define me as an individual. What defines me is my relationship with Jesus Christ. Mom and dad... Grandma and granddad, the sooner you learn this, the sooner you can impact the lives of those you have the care of. Your daughter may be bright and beautiful. Your son may be intelligent and athletically gifted, but those things do not define them. And if you put that on as their definition, they will go through life trying to achieve all the things that they think are going to define them in those ways that you've set up for them. But if you let them know that they are a child of God, infinitely and profoundly and eternally loved by God, and when they have that relationship with Jesus Christ, their destiny is sealed in their relationship with him, that that is their identity, then you've given them something to base their lives upon that no matter what happens in the days ahead, they can truly understand that their identity is in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Not in their great successes and not in their deepest failures. Those things do not define us. Who are you? We have to come to a clear resolution to this question. You are not your job. You are not your gender. You are not rich or poor, smart or stupid, known or unknown. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are his child. The passage that we read earlier in Romans chapter 8, I sat there just amazed again looking at the the passage and the truth that it talks about our sonship 
and it talks about us having, because of the Spirit of God indwelling us, we give that privilege of, of going into the very throne room of throne rooms in the very presence of the Lord God Almighty, and we get to cry out to Him, Abba, Daddy, here I am. Your child, in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my brokenness, Daddy, I'm right here. And because of my relationship with Him, my brokenness in that moment does not define me as I look and I, he, really, he welcomes me into his presence. He doesn't go, oh, I reject you because you're broken. No, he says, I embrace you because you're my child. And when I come in with my great successes and I praise him because of all the good things that are going on, he's wise enough and, and eternal and understanding enough to realize that he wants to remind me those things don't define me either, but he, I'm his child and he welcomes me in. Our identity has got to be so clearly understood that no matter what's going on in life, we truly realize that we are children of God. The devil wants to identify us by our failures, our mistakes, our grades, our gender, our orientation, our sins, our successes, our job, our brokenness, any number of things that can change with the whims of this world. The Spirit of the living God wants you to know that you are a child of the one true living God And that never changes. It's amazing. Who are you? Jesus says, I'm glad that you're excited about the things that happened, but I want to correct you gently and make you realize you're my child first. That's what defines you. And then there's this interesting part at the end, verse 21. He says, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. Interesting that Jesus, it says, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. So the context very clearly is that the 72 have gone out. They've come back. They're excited about the mission that they've been on. Jesus gently corrects them and says, glad for your excitement, but... Rejoice, first of all, in who you are, in your identity. And then, yes, it's okay to be excited about the work that I've called you to. But what's going on here with Jesus? Well, what are you doing here? Who are you and what are you doing here? Jesus had just sent them out on the what are you doing here part of the question. He sent them out on mission. They returned with joy, it says. The connection to their returning and to Jesus' experience here of him being full of joy, I think is that very thing. They come back full of joy. Jesus is full of joy. Their their joy was in the work that Christ gave them to do. Christ says, okay, that's good, but first of all, understand who you are. That's primary importance. And then it's like they got the picture, and Jesus says to the Father... I rejoice that you've hidden this from the wise, but you've revealed it to these little ones that their lives are about this mission that I've called them to. Wow. When you and I capture the mission, first of all, understanding our identity, and then when we capture the mission that Christ has given us, and we live it out, one of the results, I think, in that passage is this great joy that our Savior has that we too are part of that group that understand what life is really all about. Hmm. What are you doing here? I want to be about the will of my Father. If we had time, we'd go over to John chapter 15 and read through a long passage there where it talks about the the joy of being obedient 
to the calling of God upon our lives. What are you doing here? Who are you? You're a child of God. What are you doing here? I trust you're about the mission of the Father, the will of the Father who sent you. As I was wrapping up this message some time ago, and, and uh, just a few weeks ago actually, and, and praying through what, what I was supposed to do, um, this story came to my mind out of my own experience that I hadn't thought of for years and years. My son was five years old and, and it entered into kindergarten and we were living in a small town in Maryfield, Saskatchewan. I was pastoring our church there and, and so uh, it came field day. And field day back in those days was in that archaic time when they actually gave out ribbons for first, second, and third. They don't do that anymore. Uh, I realize everybody gets a ribbon nowadays. But um, I was pretty sure that my son was not going to be getting any ribbons that particular day. Wonderful boy, loves him dearly, and, uh, but athletically gifted at that stage of his life were not two words that you'd use to describe his, his uh, capabilities. So as the, uh, as the day came and we were there at the race and, and they had all the kindergarten kids lined up at the end, I was back here at the finish line and, and with the other parents waiting and, and so the, the bell goes, or the, the gun goes off and, and they take off and they're running and, and there's always those couple of little guys that are so quick. I found myself not really liking them as they raced right through to the very front and I knew they were getting ribbons and I look at my son and, and I see him and he's running and he's doing the best he can but, but he's at the back of the pack and I found myself just quietly hoping that he wouldn't be last. And so as he came across the finish line, he, I, I don't know, it's not really important, but it's important to me that I let you know, he came second last, not last. And so as he came across the line, though, he, he went looking for me right away. And he comes running over to me. And he puts his arms out. And he says to me, Dad, did you see me run? And I said, Yes. And I thought I was going to have to console him about his position in the class race. And he put his arms up to me and he said, Dad, he says, I ran my best. And as I reflected on that story, I thought, he got it right on both accounts. You see, number one, he knew his identity. Because he looked at me and he said, Dad, he didn't care about anybody else at the finish line. He only cared about his dad. And then he clearly understood that he wasn't running against any of those other kids. Because he said, did you see me run? I ran my best. The only approval he wanted was not a ribbon that was going to be handed out by anybody. He wanted the approval of his father. You know, when we walk into eternity, if you and I put our arms up and we say, Abba, Did you see me run? God the Father is not comparing you to anybody else in the human race. He's got a race just designed for you. And you run that race that he designs for you, understanding your identity as his child and the mission that he's called you to, then all the rest of the stuff really isn't going to matter because you're going to be able to say to him, I ran my best, Father, Abba, I did it. And he's going to say, I saw Every step you took. And that's an amazing reality that puts all of our lives into proper perspective. Understanding, first of all, our identity, and then understanding the race that he has individually called us to, that we're not running against anybody else, and we're not in competition with anybody else. We're just running for the Father. Remember that story of a little boy who had it right on both accounts and I as his father who had it wrong on both accounts. 
Let me pray for us, and then the worship team is going to come up and lead us in a closing song. Father, your love is profound. Our identity as your followers is unalterable. And the mission that you've called us to is, is as individual as, as each one of our personalities. Yeah, we're part of a big corporate body known as the church, but God, we're not compared to anybody else in this race. The disciples, they learned in that journey that Jesus said, hey, I'm glad that you're excited, but oh boy, I want you to understand clearly your identity. And then he smiled at their excitement at the mission that he called them to. Oh, Father, may we as well clearly understand who we are and what we're doing here. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.